Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, and also your host. And just before we begin the show, I'd like to thank our sponsors. ShopDrop is an iPhone app that lists every sample sale in New York. So if you want to buy designer clothes without breaking the bank, go to your iPhone and download the ShopDrop app today. I'm so excited to be on the show today. We have a last minute interview that we will be releasing just in time for the premiere that we will be discussing on the show. So welcome to the show, Toby Klein-Greenwald, a theater director, playwright, journalist, and teacher. Welcome to the show, Toby. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with a brief life journey. I know we have so much. Can you run us through your bio? Okay, so I was born and raised in Cleveland. And um, I came from an interesting family. My mother was um, uh, religious, kept Shabbat, uh, although she, she actually taught us not to, not to use the word religious because she said there were people who weren't observant in the typical way that, that we know, we think of it, but they were still religious people. She was Orthodox, kept Shabbat, kept kosher. That was the home my father uh, was not he became um, uh, he became to, he began to keep my father began to keep Shabbat at the age of sixty when he was almost killed in a car accident and he survived it miraculously and he said he felt that God was trying to tell him something so at that point he stopped working on Shabbat and started going to shul with my mother every Shabbat and started learning and started learning in Jewish philosophy and Tanakh and Hebrew and um, so I grew up in a home that I was taught to always be respectful and tolerant of others, even if they, their, even if their, uh, their Jewish observance was not exactly like ours. So that was uh, a very good um, grounding, I think. And um, I went to public school until high school, and under the influence of B'nai Akiva and Kent Mosheva and a few very special uh, group leaders, I decided to switch to, uh, to a day school in the ninth grade to Yavna uh, in Cleveland. Now, for me, this was, um, I began writing poetry at the age of seven. I began, I directed my first show at the age of 11. Um, I knew that I wanted to be either in theater or in journalism. And the high school that I would have gone to in Cleveland uh, had these wonderful electives in all those topics. And Yavna was a wonderful school, but it didn't have those kind of, those kind of courses. Um, but I ended up, because it was a small school, being the editor of the school paper and directing the school play and being the co-editor of the school yearbook. And, and I probably, even though that wasn't my goal, my goal was just to learn Torah. I wanted, first of all, to learn Torah. I said, everything else will fall into place whenever, but... First of all, I wanted to learn Torah, and um, and I ended up um, doing these other um, creative with these other creative outlets, and I published in the local Jewish newspaper. I published poetry there in the teen column, and uh, then I went to Israel. I always say I went to Israel for a year in State 52 uh, because I came in 1967, right after the Six Day War. And there was this incredible euphoria in the country. And uh, I just, it was the second my feet hit the tarmac in what was then called Lod Airport, before they called the Ben-Gurion Airport, I knew I was home. 
I knew I wasn't leaving. I just knew. Wow. And and I studied in Machon Gold for a year, and then I went on to the Michlala in Beit Began, where I studied Tanakh and Torah And again, my parents kind of asked me, what about a regular college? It was before they offered a BA. And I said, you know, I'll get around to that eventually. But first of all, I want to learn Torah. And that was before the years that they offered um, a BA. I took a minor in English, and then I went to Hebrew University to finish my BA in English and Jewish philosophy. And 30 years later, I went back to Bar Ilan, and I got a master's degree in English literature. But the topic I wrote on was women's religious theater. And my mentor was Professor Susan Handelman, who is also a personal friend now, and she's an incredible scholar. And not only is she a scholar in the area of English literature, literature, she's also a scholar in the area of Judaism, and she was very close to the Rebbe uh, and the Rebbe of Chabad. And, um, but in between that time, there was... Uh, of course, a much a much more intense journey because I finished Michala. I worked several years for Feldheim Publishers as an editor, translator, etc. Uh, and afterwards, I um, I also was very active in the Gesher organization. I think you and I had this conversation about how I was present the first time that I heard the song Gesher Sarma Od sung. So uh, that was, I think, in 72, 73. It was and Gesher is an organization that tries to bridge the gap between the religious and secular in Israel. So that was also a direction that was important to me. And I taught um, I taught Jewish studies in many of the I taught in Bravinders that today is called Lindenbaum. I taught in um, a few other places, and uh, I taught Tanakh a lot. Uh, one among my favorite topics was. The Megillot, and we'll get back to that in a minute. And some years later, I ended up co-authoring shows on Ruth and on Esther. But it began with me teaching them, so I was steep in the learning and I was steep in the teaching. And um, and always in the back of my mind, I knew that I had this part of me that was that, in addition to teaching, wanted to do theater, wanted to do write, wanted to write, wanted to do journalism. And um, I was uh, I was also. Uh, I lived for a while in, um, I, I went to visit. There were several places that I went to visit in, again, this was 1967, 68, 69. And I went to visit Kfaret Sion, where the children returned after 19 years. And the story of Gisha Sion is a very heroic story. And I said, someday I want to live in this area. And now I do. I live in Efrat, which is in Gisha Sion. And I also visited Hebron for many Shabbatot and I was, uh, I like to say, I was the first Madrichad B'nai Akiva Hebron. I used to take the kids out into the hills on Shabbat afternoon, something that I'm sure is not safe to do now, but that was safe to do in, in those years. And I, um, and then uh, after living in Israel for H, oh, I was also, um, I lived for a while in a kibbutz on the Golan Heights, in kibbutz Kesho, first when it was in an underground bunker in Punetre after the Yom Kippur War and afterwards for a while when it was transferred to a more normal place. And uh, I was just there for a short while and I embroidered the first parochet that was used on the Iron Kodesh in Keshet. I had very special feelings for the Golan also. And then I moved back to the Jerusalem area. 
and I met my husband. My husband was one of the liberators of Jerusalem. He fought in Abu Tor, which is outside the old city in uh, 1967, and he was one of those who um, who helped liberate the city. Uh, he was in the Jerusalem Brigade, and later he was in the commando depart, um, section of the Jerusalem Brigade for a number of years. Uh, so my husband uh, is a real Israeli. He was born in Slovakia, actually, after the Shoah. His parents made Aliyah when he was three, but he's a real dyed-in-the-wool Israeli Baruch Hashem. We got married when I lived here eight years. We have Leah and Hara, six children. They live all over the country, some in the Negev, some in the near us. Our daughter's on, with her and her husband, Shlichut, in Cape Town. And um, and then, in um, it was, I guess, in 2001. In 2001, there was a terrible intifada that broke out. And we, the women in Gush Etzion, some of us decided that we should raise the spirits of, um, of the women living here because nobody wanted to travel the roads at night and we knew people, everyone knew people who had been murdered by terrorists. So we started to raise your spirits theater. And the first, we thought we would do two, three performances. Since then, we've performed before, I think, if I include the licensing of our shows that has been done in America and even one in India, uh, probably 50,000. Uh, people have seen them, mostly women. In America, we also licensed to a mixed group. And we wrote, the first show was, we licensed the rights to Joseph. And then after that, uh, there was such a huge, wonderful response. Uh, we wrote original shows on Esther, on Noah, on Ruth, on Devorah, on the Daughters of Slovchad. Um, we've done several revivals. We did a review that included called In Search of Courage that was monologues and dialogues that connected the, the characters of the Tanakh across the ages. And we were actually the first ones who did something like this. And today when I see what an incredible, incredible, incredible amount of women's theater groups there are, it's just, you know, it's, it's amazing. My personal inspiration was the Tofa'a the Tofa'a band started by Yoni Yakubovich. Um, she was, uh, they preceded us. They weren't a theater group, but they were the first all women's band and they were incredible. And I know that, like, again, she's both on the personal level and on the professional level. Yoni is my, is one of my greatest inspirations. So Raise Your Spirits became um, very popular and well-known and there were, and that many of the women, what we, what there are many things that are special about it. In addition to bringing the Tanakh to life, we also were very inclusive. We include women who've gone through trauma and have problems. We include girls with learning disabilities, ADHD. We have a little deaf girl who was in several of our productions, and two years after she performed with us, after she performed with us for two years, her mother sent me a clip of her once singing Yerushalayim Shel Zahav in in perfect tune, which was theoretically impossible, but she imbibed the music into her soul. At first, we just cast her as a dancer because she was she danced nicely, but she couldn't sing on key. And those those years of being surrounded by women and girls and and the, and the camaraderie, it, I'm sure part of it was it's not just a technical thing that she heard a lot of music and songs. I'm sure it's the love and the love and the and and the affection that she got that also was a part of it. So we've helped, 
And we've also helped launch many careers. There are women who've gone through us who at least three or four of them are directing their own shows now and, and have started their own co other companies and they've performed in other venues. And so to me, this is like, it, first of all, especially when it, even when it doesn't bring them Parnassa, it's wonderful to see them blossom and grow. But when it brings them Parnassa, it's, it makes me even happier because we know that the Rambams, according to the Rambam, the highest level of Tzedakah is Parnassa. So if you, can, if you can help someone develop her talents and eventually she can make some money from them, that's incredible. Wow, that's so beautiful. You really shared so much of your history that aligns with the Jewish history and Israel and uh, what your husband has done for the state of Israel. just want to share a few more things. Um, also for 14 years, I've been conducting a theater group, uh, a theater method called Playback Theater, which is improvisational theater, in which people tell their stories and then we, we, re we play them back to the audience. That's why it's called Playback. And that's And, that, and what's important about playback, it's not just another theater method, but the first um, uh, principle of playback is that everyone has a story. And I think that's important in life. You, there's a lot of life lessons we learn from that method. And I've combined that with bibliodrama to create something I call biblio playback or theater midrash, where we learn, we read psukim um, in a story, we read a story in the Tanakh, and then we get into, um, uh, we identify, we speak in the voice of the various characters. That's bibliodrama. What I do is I also teach, and I've done this a lot in seminars for teachers, and for teachers in training. Um, uh, they, I teach them playback methods by which they reflect these stories to the storyteller. So a woman could sit there, for example, and tell the story of Naomi. And um, and she's speaking in the voice of Naomi, and then my actors, my actresses will act out that story. But sometimes I'll go one level, one step beyond, and that's what I hope to do in the workshops that I'll be um, doing in both in Crown Heights and in Passaic. We'll get to that in a minute. In these coming weeks, they bring then the women can bring their own story. So, uh, for example, when we've done this, I've had women open up and say. Um, my relations with my mother-in-law or with my daughter-in-law are, you know, this way or that way, and, and she'll relate to it through the... Suddenly the, the story of Ruth and Naomi becomes something very personal to her because she sees it also through her own life experience. Or a or someone who's converted to Judaism, will, will identify with the character of Ruth and she'll suddenly understand that through her life experience. Um, and along the way, I also co-founded a website called wholefamily.com, which is a psychological website that help, tries to bring conflicts between couples and between parents and children to resolution by drama. And we, we morphed that site into a live theater group called Dora La Dora that performed for eight years that we took all over the country and we would change the scenes based on if we were going up north when there were Kassam attacks from Lebanon or if we were going down south when there were attacks on State Road. Or, so uh, it was also something that related to personal stories of people. Um, and I think that brings us up to date before we start talking about Mikvah the Musical. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I love how you involve all types of uh, women and girls into your productions into the theater and how there's this mission to raise the spirits it's so 
beautiful to hear where this came from and how meaningful this is and, and what you've created. Can you give us a little bit of the logistics part of what it means to be a theater director and founder and what it takes to produce something? And I know you've mentioned a little bit about the Parnassa aspect, which is having a livelihood out of this. Give us the business end of what it takes to create a musical or a play. Okay, so first of all, I just want to say some things I founded, some things I co-founded, some things I authored, some things I co-authored. There were very often other, you know, other, of course, other women were involved as well. What it takes as far as, okay, the business end. First of all, ladies, don't quit your day jobs. Um, it's, it's a very, it's very difficult as um, I think that most women, w remember women who, well, well, women's, uh, I'm going to relate for a moment to women who uh, adhere to call Isha and don't sing in front of men. So first of all, you're cutting your audience down by 50%. So obviously, this is an incredible, uh, this takes a lot of Masimut Nefesh. I always say I'm happy that I don't have a great voice. I could, I could direct, I could write, I could produce. But um, I'm happy I don't have that Nisayon, that um, challenge of, of, having a beautiful voice and and I have the most the greatest admiration for women who who adhere to this who and uh, and they know that obviously like I said you won't get as large an audience but thank God there are so many women who today are interested in attending events like this and and in seeing and hearing other women sing and it's not like it's not like it was 20, 30 years ago. It's it's a hot topic now. It's it's a hot item. It's fortunate that we have these outlets. I once said to a friend that I felt bad, a little bit badly that when I was growing up, there wasn't a religious theater school for women like there is in Emuna in Yerushalayim today. There weren't religious frameworks for women. It's not to, in addition to the issue of kolisha, it's the issue of Shabbat and you know being in a certain atmosphere. And I said, you know, I didn't have that when I was growing up. And she said, don't be sorry that you didn't have it. Be happy that you're part of the revolution. And that gave me, that gave me an incredible boost because it's, it's such nacha to see, to see today that there's so much for, for women. Uh, it is difficult. The business side is challenging because there's so, we're happy there's so much out there. But because there's so much out there, um, it's more challenging, of course. It's more difficult. It's like in any business. In any business, someone has to, uh, a person has to differentiate herself, uh, whether she's an artist, whether she produces a product, clothing, whether the person is an author and he's writing. I know someone, I read an, an article recently, one of the Hebrew papers, where someone published a book on Parshat Shavuah, and it was hard for him to find a publisher because they said, what, another book on Parshat Shavuah? Whatever it is that you're doing, if you're a writer, if you're a painter, if you're, if you're a manufacturer of anything, you have to differentiate yourself in order to stand out and to make it easier to make a living from it. And I think that someone, uh, I remember uh, I, I helped Rabbi Riskin write, Rabbi Shlomo Riskin write his book, uh, Listening to God, and um, and. It, he, he told one of the one of the stories he told was that I think it was Rav Salavechik Zal who said to him that you should hope or try to make your 
your vocation, your avocation. In other words, uh, it's, it's a great bracha, it's a great blessing when what you love to do and what is your passion can also be parnasa for you. And it's not easy. I don't think it's easy for men either. I think they also have a big market that they're men who are performing arts, religious men who are performing arts. They're also uh, up against a lot of competition. And what's important to maintain always is our menschlichkeit. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have menschlichkeit, like nothing is, is worth it. And that's, and sometimes when you're in a, in a competitive society, that's difficult. But that's the most important thing. One of the, I'm sure you're familiar, I know you're part of the Atara organization that I'm a board member of. The Atara organization, which is for religious, mostly religious women in the performing arts, they work really hard. We work really hard at networking and at being supportive of each other. And it's, it's, critically, it's critically important to do this because um, if you lose your humanity, then anything that you've achieved with your art is worthless. So we have to keep our eye on that. We have to keep our eye on that. It's the shame shemaim that uh, these are things, that, especially in the world of the performing arts, it's very easy to fall into traps of ego. Uh, and, and we're not there. The, that might be the rest of the world of performing arts or part of the, I'm sure that, I'm sure that also in the world of non-Jewish or non-religious performing arts, there are incredible and wonderful people who are not all about ego. But especially in our world, we have to be cognizant of that, the importance of that what we're doing is a shem shemaim, what we're doing is for others, what we're doing is to, not just to help, um, and not just, not just for the Jews. I mean, uh, one of our shows, for example, on Ruth, it was performed by a man in India who does street theater with, who does theater with street children. You know, we can also be in, we should be, we must be in Orla Goyim, a light for the nations. And a light for the nations means doing things in the proper way and doing it with love. Doing it with love and with compassion and with friendship and with, in Hebrew we say firgun. Firgun means um, to be supportive of each other. In my humble opinion, if I may add, my experience in the world of performing arts in the Jewish Orthodox or just the wider Jewish community I feel like there's an overwhelming amount of camaraderie and respect, the, the sense of women want to help each other. It's definitely yes, something yes. we have to watch out for, and personally, everyone should work on it on their own end. But I think the environment that has been created and the culture that Atara has been a part of it and so many other organizations have created and established the foundation of it being, you know, we're here to help each other and empower each other and not step on each other. I think I think you're right, but I think it was, I think that's uh, it's a schut that that that's what happened and and what is happening. But I don't think it's something to take for granted. I think it's something to appreciate, to appreciate and to recognize that um, it's incredible that that's what has evolved, and and it didn't necessarily have to evolve that way. So we're fortunate that there. We're fortunate that that is the situation today. 
Correct. I'd like to touch upon a subject that you've started with, how everyone has a story and part of that comes through with the plays and musicals you've been involved in, but also realizing that that's the most impactful and inspiring element of art, that it's that tool. The story is the one that's going to go from the performer into the heart of the audience, if, if right. that's the way to express that. And you started talking about it, but maybe there is a personal story you'd like to share. I don't know if you've turned it into a playwright. You have mentioned to me personally how you have struggled with fighting cancer and you are a cancer survivor. Have you used this story through your art expression? Um, I've used it so far only in writing, so I may use it beyond that. But um, uh, one of the things that helped me get through it was uh, two years, it was two years ago, I had breast cancer. And thank God, as now, I'm considered a prime Baruch Hashem. And I continued to produce and direct a show on Ruth and Naomi through in-between chemotherapy sessions. And uh, there's no question in my mind that the fact that I had to get up and go and do this, uh, it helped me. It helped me not just because it kept me busy and active, but it helped me because all the all the affection and caring I'd given my actresses all those years, it, it, of course it came back to me and, and, it was, and it was wonderful. And sometimes I would direct, you know, if it was only the leads, I would do it in my living room when I was lying on the couch. And sometimes I would switch places with the music director for a night. But that definitely was something that helped keep me going. And um, there is this, and if I, I'd like to get into also a, uh, the show that we're bringing to New York next week, Mick for the Musical, we have a, we have a monologue there written by Rabbi Chani Terrigan, not by me, but it's written about how she discovered her breast cancer. She discovered it's called Lump at the Lake, and she she went, she was, she went to Toivel at the Lake when she was at camp where she was a scholar in residence, and because it was, it was dark, so, you know, a woman checks herself, she always checks herself carefully, but when you have no lights or mirrors, as she said, then the checking, the touching is even more intense. And that's when she discovered a lump. And three days later, she was back in Israel and it was confirmed as breast cancer. And, um, she, and she says, and she finishes, the monologue finishes by saying, I bless my dark night at the lake. Anyone who's gone through, um, I'm sure, any kind of illness, they have, it's too long for a podcast. Many stories that, um, that um, stories of inspiration and from what, from what we take inspiration and, and how we try to give inspiration to others. Uh, and one of the special, um, well, one of the things that makes our show Mikvah the Musical uh, so special is that it's, based, it's all personal stories real stories of women. Um, some of them are happy, some are funny, some are, uh, are more difficult, like there's one on infertility. One of the stars is an incredible woman named Michelle Thaler who was paralyzed from the waist down 23 years ago from an epidural gone bad, and she tells her inspirational stories. Uh, and the funniest monologue of the night is, is actually one of her stories that I won't give away because I want everybody to come and see the show. And the other stories are told, I'm sorry for the noise on my phone. 
the other stories are told by actresses. And even though they're actresses, like I said, back in the beginning, everyone's got a personal story. So actresses bring, when they present the material of others, obviously they bring their own uh, life experience into this as well, even if it isn't exactly the same story, but it's a question of sensitivity. It's a question of a positive attitude. Um, it's a question of uh, emuna, of faith. And we also have songs that are written in parody. And this all began 13 years ago when a friend of mine, Myra Gooderman, said um, she started collecting stories of mikvah ladies and of friends who go to the mikvah. And she asked me to join her in developing this for the stage. Uh, and about three years ago, we suddenly decided to move it in the direction of her monologues to a musical that includes both monologues and songs written in parody. Uh, and we thought, okay, this is a nice little show. And we started in Jerusalem with a small crowd. We put it on in someone's lovely, elegant living room, invited 60 women. And it just, it just like skyrocketed and every performance was sold out. And um, our first donors were a group of women, wonderful women from the five towns. And this was after we had gone to a certain organization in Israel over the years, several, a number of times. And they said, and they, they didn't have the money, et cetera. And finally, we got our donors, Stafka from America. And thank God it's been very successful in Israel. And we're being brought to um, some of these people, same women. They're bringing us to the New York area next week to perform. And all the details are on our website, which I have to emphasize the spelling of the word mikveh because people can't find it always. M-I-K-V-A, mikveh without an H, themusical.com. If you go there, you could find all the venues, Queens, Five Towns, Manhattan, Teaneck, New Jersey, from the 23rd of June to the 27th. Okay, that's my commercial for our, for our wonderful show. Uh, so I'd like to talk more about that. I know you had donors who funded this musical and that brought you to the States as well. And I'm assuming you're able to play the actresses and all the other hired staff. Is that because of ticket sales or because the fundraisers are really covering most of it? The ticket sales are just a little extra. No, actually, we will have to be paying them from the ticket sales because um, we're really doing this on a shoestring. And uh, yes, any anyone who comes and who buys a ticket and encourages her friends to buy a ticket, you definitely are helping not just to support the project in general, but to support some wonderful actresses, cast and crew uh, who came from Israel. Um, so that we definitely are, uh, are looking forward to big ticket sales, I hope. And anyone listening, I really hope you come out to check it out. Um, I just want to give a shout out. I just want yeah. to give a shout out to the two women who are the most instrumental in in, in organizing this here. And they're Henya Storch and Penina Popak. These are the two movers and shakers who are doing the most to help to help bring this to America. And we we owe them a great a great dinner great sense of gratitude. 
Can you tell us a little bit about all the awards you have won over the years? A number of years ago, I won the Yaakov Egerist Memorial Award for Jewish Culture from the Ministry of Education in Israel. When you speak about those awards, can you also say how you got them? For example, did you apply for them? Or is that something that these organizations found you from your work? Uh, okay, so Atara offered us and found me. They knew me. Uh, the Egerist Award, art of, artists, performing artists, uh, not just performing artists, uh, people involved in culture, they they apply for it. And it's, it has many, many, many applications. And every year they only choose two. And I was very, you know, I kind of applied for it like, you apply for things, you know, you know, you don't necessarily really expect uh, to win. And I was really happy, you know, I was surprised and happy that, that I won it. And it, 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 it specifies that it's for my work in Jewish uh, educational and in, in Jewish and educational theater. And I was also um, the Shavei Rachel School, at that time it was called the Shavei Rachel School under the Oratora um, group of schools came to me a number of years ago and they said they wanted to honor me at an evening for having contributed so much to, um, to yeah, they, their school for high school girls, to young women in the area of uh, educational uh, Jewish theater. And um, this year I was asked to light a torch <laughs> at the Israel Independence Day ceremony in a in a frat for my work in Raise Your Spirit Theater. And about a week ago, not in the area of theater, I got a note from I got an email from the American Jewish Press Association that um, on June 25th I'm one of those winning uh, being awarded a Rockauer a Simon Rockauer Award for Excellence in Jewish Journalism. So that was a nice recent surprise. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't be there because I'm going to be in, the, in Lawrence, New York, at the performance of, of our show. But yes, that's nice. That's nice. Um, you, work for a long, you work for a long time and you don't do it. I'm not like a Bill Press. So, so these things are, like I say, they're nice, they're nice surprises when they happen. But I don't think that's the reason anybody does it. I think anyone who does something that they love with a passion, they do it. They do it because they want to create something meaningful in the world. Absolutely. I cannot imagine anyone going into this industry for the prize. If you want that, you have to go into other industries because the prize is not going to pay or even come close to it (laughs) for the amount of work you put in. It is recognition and it is information. I know there are a lot of grants out there and not necessarily awards, but there is access to support and help and recognition. So anyone listening out there who reads your bio might get more information from what you just shared. Listen, this is uh, an, an invitation not only to buy tickets, but anyone who would like to support our project of Nixa the Musical. Um, you'll be doing something wonderful for Jewish women of the world because I think this is a show that is inspiring and um, it's fun. It's both fun and serious and most of all inspiring. And I think it's a message, it's an important message. 
get out there. Yeah, and it's also a new topic that's being talked about a lot, and you as a journalist right. also probably noticed. And you have said that there has been a lot of positive feedback from the, this musical. Is there something you can right. share? I know you don't want to spoil any of the stories, but maybe some of the impact this show has caused. Is there something you can share from that? Well, first of all, there are we the first few performances when it's always you know it's always in the state of evolving and developing. But the first few performances, especially, we were fine tuning and tweaking it, and we gave out papers uh, for women to hand in that were that they could write anonymously on what you know what their feedback was. And so many women um, were, they said, this was my story. Like I say, there, there, were, there were happy stories. There's stories of, uh, there's a beautiful story by a Giorit, by a woman who converts to Judaism. We, we've had other converts in the audience. Um, there's, um, there's a more serious story of abuse. And unfortunately, that's something that exists in every community. Um, the story that Michelle, the stories that Michelle tells about overcoming her um, her, dis- her disabilities to Teufel. Uh, so there are women who've overcome other things. We have the story, the example I gave of Shani Terrigan about discovering her breast cancer. And there are other women who've said that this was cathartic for them because they themselves went through the experience of having to Teufel after you know losing their hair or having a mastectomy and. And things like this give women chizuk. Um, there's funny stories that, you know, you think that just, it only happens to you. Like we have something called the excuses rap of, uh, Mom, where are you going? Uh, to, an, uh, to, the, to, to the park, you know what I mean? To a meeting, to the quiet. To, in other words, women are always coming up with excuses to tell their children where they're going at night when they're going to the mikvah. So when we, recently, we recently did a fundraising performance in Kiryat Gat to help raise money to repair a mikvah that was, uh, the, the roof was destroyed by a rocket from Gaza at the beginning of May. So we went down there June 3rd and we heard, we always follow, an, we follow every show with a discussion. So uh, women got up there and they told their own personal stories about how one who drove, she was a Chabad shlucha in Wyoming and how they had to drive to Montana to use the mikvah. And, uh, and others who they only had one from Stay Road. Actually, she's the wife of the Rosh Hashiv of Stay Road that got it, that was hit by a rocket this week. Thank God nobody was in the Beit Midrash when it happened. And um, how you only have 15 seconds, to, you know, to run uh, to run when you hear the siren if you live in Stay Road. So imagine how that impacts on your on your mikvah going. Um, there were women who talk, there are women who afterwards share stories about. Um, one of them shared a story of her own infertility afterwards and, and what it meant to, to meet this wonderful uh, mikvah lady who was so kind to her. Um, there are, uh, there's a story about someone who has a fear of water. Uh, we, we try to, if it's not, well, some of the stories, like, um, are, 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 like I said, very serious, but if it's something that could also have a lighter touch put on it, like like hydrophobia. Um, it helps. It's cathartic for women. There's a woman in the audience who uh, who has a fear of water, and she sees this scene on hydrophobia. They told us it's cathartic for them. Uh, we have a story of a woman who took her mother and her mother-in-law to the. She's a balachuva, 
so she took her mother and her mother-in-law to the mikvah, and um, uh, it, it's and, and there's other women who've come up to her afterwards and said that happened to me all. I'm a balas shivan. I did it all. So I did it also. So, uh, and I think I think that one of the very uh, moving moments in one of our discussions was when a woman who um, was at one of our Jerusalem shows got up at the end and she said, I was raised as a Reformed Jew. I never went to a mikveh in my life. But I came to the show but I came to this show out of curiosity and it has been an absolute eye-opener for me. I learned so much and there was so much I didn't know and, and I'm so grateful that I was able to see this. So we don't want to, we, our goal is not to reach only Orthodox women who use the mikvah. Our goal is absolutely to reach far beyond that. One of our actresses is traditional, and for her this has been just like an incredible experience. We intentionally, we intentionally cast our show and our, and our crew, so it includes women who are Haredi, who are modern Orthodox, and who are traditional, because it's very important to us to show this is the uniting subject. This is the topic of mikveh is something that should unite the women of Israel. And, um, and, and we see women, they laugh, they cry, they identify. It, it's, a, it's a very It's a unique experience that you're creating. Very, it's a very, yes, it's a very empowering evening of sisterhood. And it's not like any other because, it's, I mean, I'm not... Every, all the all the evenings of sisterhoods with songs, with theater, with dance, they're all wonderful. But this is something that's, you know, it's one of the three mitzvot of a Jewish woman. I mean, just like challah is a big thing, lighting candles is a big thing. Well, this is number three. I, I don't mean that order of importance. I'm saying this is one of the big three. And uh, there are many, I'm sure there are women in the world who light candles and they might not go to the mikvah or... But this is, uh, I remember many, many, many years ago, um, I met um, an acquaintance of my mother somewhere. And, uh, and we got in a discussion on this. And she said, uh, she said that she bakes, she wasn't particularly, she, I don't think she was, she wasn't Orthodox, but she, she, but she bakes challah. And I mentioned, oh, you know, the three mitzvah, or somebody else there, I don't remember, it was a long time ago, mentioned the three mitzvah of the Jewish woman, Chala, and, and lighting candles, and she looked up and she said, well, I keep two out of three. So um, this is taking that third mitzvah out of the shadows uh, and bringing it to the world, to wider, to wider audiences, to more women, and telling them, don't be afraid, don't be afraid of this mitzvah, it's a beautiful mitzvah, and, um, and, and these are real stories by women who experience it and we have something to say about it. Do you think a single woman come out to listen also or is this really targeting the women who are mikvah goers or who have been mikvah First of all, the woman members. who began it, the woman who began it, Myra Gutman, is single. The woman who began all this is a single woman. And uh, some of our... Um, Supporters and, and, and friends and editors are, are single women. And I think that, I don't think it's something that has to be quite, uh, like I said, there, there's no need to be afraid of it. 
single women, I think that there's a lot of beauty and faith uh, that can be learned from an evening like this, whether or not one goes to the mix. Thank you so much, Toby, for coming on the show and being our guest and advertising this experience that you're bringing to the Jewish community for the first time. So thank yeah. you so much for sharing. It did take me over a year to get you on here. Thank you for thank you for being persistent and and good luck. Good luck with everything that you do. I follow you and I, I watch your videos and I see what you do. Thank you. We wish you Hatzlacha Rabba. And if you have been enjoying this podcast, please make sure to write a review and subscribe and tell your friends to check us out as well. See you next time.